Welcome to the Colorado Ayurveda podcast, a podcast where we meet members of the Ayurvedic community, hear about their work and what they are doing, and learn about what it means to practice Ayurveda today. I am your host, Farnoosh Family. I'm an Ayurveda health consultant located in Colorado and the founder of Ayurveda Mama, an herbalized ghee company. I'm also on the board of Colorama, which puts on this podcast. Colorama is the Colorado Ayurvedic Medical Association. We are a community of people dedicated to the preservation, evolution, and promotion of Ayurveda in Colorado and beyond. We offer support to students, practitioners, and the general community interested and active in Ayurveda and other Vedic sciences like yoga and jyotish. In this first episode, we sit down with Akasya Rose, also a member of the Kalarama Board of Directors. It was very fitting to start the launch of this podcast with Akasya's interview because she starts us off with an explanation of a key concept in Ayurveda, and that is a fire. Where would we be without fire? We know fire is one of the five elements, but Acacia goes into an in-depth look at how fire has shaped us and what we as humans have done with fire. So without further delay, here's the interview with Acacia Rose. Hello and welcome to another episode of Colorado Ayurveda. I'm joined today by Acacia. Thank you, Acacia, for coming to join us. Hello. Um, Acacia Rose is an Ayurvedic doctor certified through the NAMA, National Ayurvedic Medical Association. After four years and more than 4,000 hours of rigorous study under the guidance of renowned Ayurvedic doctor and former MD Alakananda Ma, Acacia became certified, certified as one of the first Ayurvedic doctors in the United States. Based in Boulder, she provides both in-person and remote wellness consultations to those in need, enthusiastically guiding clients to reawaken radiant vitality through the skillful application of Ayurvedic principles. Akasya teaches Ayurveda at Alandi Ayurveda Gurukula and the Colorado School of Clinical Herbalism. And she serves on the board of directors of Colorado Ayurveda Medical Association, Colorama, and is certified rolfer. Welcome, Akasya. Thank you so much for coming. And um, yeah, we're, we're happy to talk to you today. Um, I wanted to just, you know, get to know you a little bit in this episode and ask you really kind of where you feel like, you know, some of the main and important ideas within Ayurveda reside and how they relate to what you do and, you know, just how we all operate in the world. Mm-hmm. I just find Ayurveda to be an extremely profound science, philosophy, system. It's my experience as a practitioner is that I constantly feel grateful that I have this system to reside within and that this this incredibly um, skillful set of knowledge is the basis that informs me of how to guide myself and others towards, towards health. And what I see again and again and again is that it really works. It really works, which is um, just a testament to the system itself and to this source of knowledge. And so it's, it's absolutely profound and so simple in its application and 
create so many complexities in the human body and in the human mind. And so, yeah, I just keep coming back to this absolute awe of the system over and over again. Yeah. Um, and I think that there, there are some interesting things there. We were talking a little bit before we got started on some of the main and, um, you know, distinct aspects of Ayurveda and, and how we can use them. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that, our relationship to the natural world, the elements, and then how you see that in your practice and, and in the studies. Yeah, so central to the, the teachings of Ayurveda is that the element of fire is one of the most important elements to tend to in the body and especially in the digestive system, right? So our ability to digest, absorb, and assimilate our food in our digestive systems is the starting point of either health or disease. And this is all based on how food is metabolized by the fire element. So a fire element that is excess will create certain diseases or imbalances in the body a fire element that's deficient will create other, a whole other set of symptoms and diseases. And the balanced fire is what I would imagine most Ayurvedic practitioners in the world are trying to achieve, right? It's this, mm-hmm. this, um, this very efficient, brightly burning, well-functioning fire element in the central fire, which lives in the digestive system and specifically in the stomach. And so as an Ayurvedic doctor, I spend a lot of my time thinking about the element of fire. And there's some really interesting components about the fire element, which are very intriguing to me. And truly it is our relationship with fire, which has distinguished humans from animals. And so there's a saying that animals don't have fire and the angels don't need it, right? And so the use of fire is a unique quality of being human. That the the human beings are, we're the only species that can make, master, and utilize the fire element. And through our relationship with the actual physical element of fire, fire itself, we have greatly evolved and become who we are today because of this relationship. And because Ayurveda emphasizes the relationship to this element so much, it's it's a really unique and interesting study to me to try to understand how our relationship to fire has truly shaped what it means to be human. And so it's it's speculated that early humans harnessed fire sometime between the last in the last 400,000 to one and a half million years right and so our relationship with fire goes way back and in this modern age we take the fire element for granted right we have light at the flip of a switch we have heat at the turn of a dial we we have fire at the flick of a match right But in the ancient times, acquiring fire was so 
special and so important to what it means to live, right? It was having fire could mean that you could survive. If the fire became extinguished, it might mean that you and your whole tribe are threatened, right? And so there's many different stories of how, how ancient people would tend to the element of fire. And specifically with the Vedic people, they carried fire, Agni, in a box, right? So from place to place, they carried this element. And, and when you know that your life could be dependent on this little thing that you have in a box that you carry from place to place, you end up really worshiping this element, right? So it makes sense that we became so, that we realized that our relationship to fire was so important, right? And there's fires in India that have been tended and continuously burning for very, very, very long times, right? And this is, this is the reverence of what it means to be in relationship with this element. And it's, it also has come with a pretty large price, right? Our relationship to fire is, is and our, our, our gluttonous overuse and misuse of the element of fire has also led to a lot of the imbalance in this world, right? And so the whole, the whole idea with, with Ayurveda is how do we tend, how do we revere this element? How do we interact with it in a way that's, that's um, mindful, right? And how do we also understand that this element can burn? It can burn things down. It can, it can rage out of control if we're not careful with it, right? And so the one thing that really, that really intrigues me is how our relationship with fire actually changed human behavior. And so I'd, I've done, I've kind of dug into this topic in my own curiosity quite a bit. And so I'm just going to mention a couple of the things here, because I think this is just an incredible um, example of, of the relationship that humans have with fire. So um, so this is when we started to master fire, when we started to be able to have it at our disposal, when we carried it around, there's many things that changed in the development of the human species at that time. So one of the things was that it altered our subsistence patterns and subsistence patterns that that term is an anthropological term that's used to describe the sources of food that we have access to and the way those, those food sources are obtained. And so when we, when we started to use fire, we could include new food into our diet, right? And before we had access to fire in this way, we mostly collected wild plants, wild plants and then we also sometimes could scavenge meat and eggs, and maybe if we got super lucky, some honey. Um, but once we harnessed the power of fire, we were able to diversify our diets. And also because the fire element pre-digests the food, right? When we cook food, what we're doing is we're introducing the fire element to the food and we're actually pre-digesting it. And by pre-digesting it, we are able to yield more nutrients from the food, from a wider variety of foods. 
So therefore we spend less time digesting tougher proteins like collagen and, and previously indigestible components of plants that we couldn't break down. And what happened as a result of this is that the human gastrointestinal tract actually became shorter because we didn't need to have so much surface area to, to digest these hard, tough proteins and, and fibrous materials of plants. The, the teeth and jaws became smaller. The whole shape of our, of our skull changed. And not only were we, so now we, we have this ability to digest new foods and gain more nutrition from the foods and the body expends less energy on digestion. And with the use of fire, we're able to occupy new environmental zones, right? So we're, be, we're able to go out and, and stray away from the tropical and subtropical environments of our ancestors into more temperate environments with colder winters. And what is very interesting about this transition is that Typically, when a mammal would go into a colder environment, it would adapt by creating increased body fat and growing more insulating hair. But that's not what happened with humans. And the reason that that didn't happen is because of our relationship with fire. So instead of adapting in that way, what actually happened is we used the fire element to keep us warm. And what ended up developing instead of body fat and hair was our intelligence, our brain, right? Our brains actually expanded and we started to accumulate memory and knowledge and skill, right? And so natural selection during this time selected for increased brain size and intelligence, because without that intelligence, we would actually be in these colder environments. We would be we would be at risk, right? If we didn't have the intellect to help us problem solve. And so this, this, this altered the evolution of, of species, of our species. And so now we're living in these caves and we have, we have these, um, we have the fire element as a central part of our, of our culture in a sense. And a few other things happened, which is that humans were no longer limited to, to activity only during the daylight hours. So now the sun goes down and we used to sleep in nests or just spend the whole time of darkness being inactive. But with fire, we created artificial daylight in a sense, which allowed us to stay alert and active for many more hours per day. And then as we sat around the fires at night, extending the time that we were awake, we, we also created culture. And this is something that's really, really fascinating to me is that around the fire, we would make tools, we would tell stories, we would recall the hunt from the day. So art, culture, language, all of this started to develop because we had that fire, because we would gather at the fire. We would gather at the fire for warmth. We would gather at the fire for protection. We would gather at the fire to ward away bugs and biting insects, right? Um, 
but then also we would sleep around the fire. And so this is another really, really fascinating thing that occurred is that because we were sleeping around the fire, we would be able to go into deeper sleep because we're protected from predators in a way that we used to be very vulnerable, right? And it's during the REM sleep where the vivid dreams occur that the brain consolidates long-term, what we would call procedural memories, which allow us to retain skills and repeat previously learned tasks. And so it's actually because we could go and sleep, we could go into deep sleep and we could do that for longer periods of time. When we're in REM sleep, there's part of the REM the process of being in REM is that there's a, a form of almost near paralysis, which is known as muscle atonia, which accompanies this state of REM. So when you're in REM, you're very vulnerable, right? And so now that we have fire and we can sleep for longer periods of time and we're protected while we're sleeping, we're able to go into deeper states of REM. And when we do that, we learn we were able to com consolidate, right? The long, the procedural memories, like I was saying. And we would spend sometimes up to 25, 25% more time in REM than our ancestors. And this caused us to be able to learn multi-step tasks such as tool manufacturing. And, and so the intelligence of the human species continued to adapt and evolve, adapt and evolve, adapt and evolve because of our relationship with fire. And so we truly are who we are today because we have created this relationship. We learned how to master, we learned how to harness, how to make the element of fire, mm. right? And then truly in this world, we, it is our responsibility also since we have this relationship to the fire element, to learn how to use it in a way that creates health and well being for all. Right now, our use of fire is, is, is largely destructive, right? We, we've let our relationship with the fire element run rampantly, and now it's creating a lot of illness in both the human population and our plants and animals' life on earth, right? So, so it's, it's a really beautiful aspect. You could almost say that as Ayurvedic practitioners, we are the fire keepers, mm -hmm. which in so many cultures, the fire keeper is such an honorable position, right? And so as we go into the world and we teach people how to tend with, with reverence and respect to the fire element in their own bodies, it resets our relationship to fire and the relative balance of how we interact with the elements in the external world. And, and so I see Ayurveda as, as, a, as a form of activism in a sense that can help to reset some of the illness of this world. And therefore it feels like it's very, very good work yeah. to be doing. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's so interesting. Like the there's so much to what you just said. I'm just thinking about that external relationship to fire and then as well as our internal relationship. So it's almost like 
um, you know, not having much awareness of that external relationship, you know, destructive and not destructive, you know, beneficial or not beneficial, it's almost mirrored in our internal relationship with that fire. And um, because it is so easy to like flick that switch and turn on the light or have warmth or drive your car, mm -hmm. you know, you're, you're, you're kind of separated from that. And then also the abundance of just various foods and, and choice of foods, right. That it, at that point, you're not really considering like, or, you know, at times you can see how people aren't considering what foods really fit with my fire right now, you know, like that, that, that kind of consideration, you can see how you we've been separated from that. Um, so I think that that's pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It really is. And it's, it's a, you know, if in order to be warm, we had to rub sticks together and create fire, we would, we would probably feel the, the uniqueness of that relationship in a way that we don't, unless we actively practice the cultivation of our awareness and our gratitude, mm -hmm. um, then we, yeah, we have, we've only known what it is to have instant and immediate access to a lot of the gifts and benefits of the fire element, right? And of all the elements, in fact. Yeah, that, and I, I also really particularly like how you connected that to culture, you know, like we can really thank the fire element for allowing that connection to develop and, and mm -hmm. foster and then make us who we are, right? Mm -hmm. And even, you know, even to this day, a lot of culture in our own families is created around the dinner table, right? Mm -hmm. We cook food and then we sit around the dinner table um, to consume the food. And, and that's where we have a lot of our, you know, debriefing of the day and a lot of our relational activity still happens around food, which is accessible because we've used the fire element to, to cook it and to make it available to us to eat. So mm -hmm. we're still doing it. And actually, in fact, the more that we can come back and have those moments where we create culture within families, the healthier the family system typically is as well, right? And then if we can bring awareness into what it is that we're eating, how it digests in our body, how it affects our mind, how, how the body is able to utilize the nutrients or how maybe it's not quite functioning in the way that it would like to so that it's at its optimal state of vitality, then we even create more function in our family systems. And, and then therefore that spreads you know, out into the world mm -hmm. because truly it is what we, when we have an apple, when it's outside of us, it's not me. And then we eat it and it becomes me, right? That is the process of digestion is something passes through the, the fire element and it gets transformed from not me to me. And so the, the components of, of the food that we use, the thoughts that we think, they all have to be digested, right? And if we're the, what I, what I tell my clients oftentimes is what I'm trying to do is teach you how to be like a ninja, right? knowing in, in each moment how to skillfully respond to the current state of your body with these tools that you have available to you. And you can say, oh, right now, I woke up this morning, I felt tired, groggy, 
My tongue was thickly coated. I didn't feel hungry for many hours. If I was a ninja, if I was being really skillful at saying, okay, my body is asking for a certain type of tending. My fire is wanting to be tended in a certain way today. And I know how to do that. Then, then that to me feels like the, the, the aspect of the living science of Ayurveda being put into action on a day-to-day -day basis in a skillful and thoughtful way in an individual's body in a way that creates health vitality and that that and that ends up radiating radiating out into the world right when you see someone who is very vital you notice there's something about that right mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i like that and i like that emphasis on the tools used so that you can determine moment to moment even day to day just what it is that you need as opposed to you know, this is the prescription or, you know, whatever it is like mm -hmm. I can, and I can imagine that that takes time. So, you know, it, do you find that like with your clients or, you know, wh whoever you're working with that, um, you know, you really need to build that relationship essentially so that you can have the time to, to, to really show them and then also allow them to metabolize that, right? Like then use that information and metabolize it and notice it in themselves and have time to kind of sit with it. It does take time. Yeah. And, and the, that's kind of the way that I, that I work with my clients. It's we're in a process of, of education, right? Mm -hmm. And as the body, as we interact in this way, from this lens with an individual who is very unique unto themselves, no one is like them, right? They need, they need what they need. And that may be very different from what another person needs. As we go through the process of letting the body tell us and show us, right? Oh, I did this and that was the result. I did this and that was the result. And the body tells us the story. It weaves, it weaves the story together over time. We can become very familiar with one individual's tendencies, right? And then depending on the tendencies, we can give them a set of tools. And, and, and ultimately with, with my clients, the idea is if you can make moment to moment decisions from intelligence that bring your body not out of balance, but into balance, which prevents future disease, you basically become your own doctor, right? And so the idea is to use this system as a form of empowerment. How do we get you to the point in your relationship to self where you know what to do moment to moment? So you no longer need me and you no longer need doctors, the medical system. You are your own doctor. You're your own best ally in your health, in your, in your cultivation of health. And a lot of the things that used to be mysteries are now very clear. The patterns are clear. The other's understanding of how to dance with that is clear, right? That's a form of empowerment also, which is a beautiful, beautiful gift to receive in one's life, right? And then, and then we rely on the medical system for major moments, you know, things that are out of our control that come in. But we, we use this, this knowledge of Ayurveda as a form of preventative medicine in our systems. 
And guess what? We get to do it in luxury, in enjoyment, in pleasure, right? Because truly this system does come to us. You know, Ayurveda was the medical science that was developed for the kings. So the kings would have their whole team around them to give them their, their oil massages and to medicated milks and, you know, all of the beautiful treatments that were fit for a king. That is what we have with Ayurveda. So the application of Ayurveda also in the body, in the lived experience of it can be really luxurious and fun and tasty and pleasurable, mm -hmm. which is another really very fun aspect of it. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting that like, like all those things that you mentioned, you know, your clients don't, don't necessarily need you in that, you know, like you're giving them the tools, like you're showing them or you're, you're educating them, like you said, and then ultimately the goal is that you're not there anymore, right? That, that, that they are on their own. So that, that I think is also another kind of interesting distinction within. Yes. Of yes. how to use this science and this medicine. Absolutely. Yeah. And I love, I, you know, empowerment. It's like if each individual can feel empowered in their own life and their own health, um, and because they're acting, because their system is more imbalanced, they make more balanced decisions, right? When we're, when we're existing in, in a state of imbalance, it's like we're a pendulum that swings drastically from one extreme to the other. As we come into balance, the pendulum swings in a much more balanced manner itself. And therefore our emotions, our cravings, our actions, start to be less extreme themselves. And so it becomes easier to make balanced choices. It becomes easier to feel emotionally stable. It becomes easier to have less of an impact in the world in a mm -hmm. negative way, easier to have a good impact, a positive impact, a, a balanced impact in the world. And then empowerment, that's a state of empowerment in my mind, which this world would benefit greatly from having more very empowered and balanced individuals surfing the tides of these times, you know? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. um, we're getting close to the end of our time here. So I want to ask you if you had any final thoughts you wanted to share before we close. And then of course, ask you how we can find you where we can uh, reach you at. Mm. Well, one final thought is and this is along the, the lines of the fire element, the whole conversation of the fire element. There is a concept of this central digestive fire being a God, right? Mm -hmm. Agni in the Vedic tradition is a God. And so as we eat food and swallow it and we, we give it to the stomach, there's there's a, an encouragement to consider, is this what you're putting into your body? Is this something that you would offer to a God? Is this fit for a God, right? Would this be, um, would this be a, a beautiful offering or would this be an insult, right? If that was, a, if there was a God residing in your stomach that you were, that you were giving an offering to. And so that's an interesting way of, of thinking of, of eating and of bringing the, the act of consuming food nutrients um, 
to a place where reverence is one of the underlying principles and reverence for our own bodies, mm-hmm. right? And also reverence for the effect of the choices that we make, you know, how does this ripple out into the world and, and cause, you know, cause and effect, affect the world. Mm-hmm. Right? I love that. That, that yeah, you know, every meal is an offering to, you can think of it as an offering to yourself, to your body, to Agni. Yeah, that's, that's a great way to think about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, thank you so much, Acacia, for joining us um, and sharing your knowledge. Um, how can we find you? Mm-hmm. Um, I have a website, which is acaciarose.com. Acacia is spelled A-K-A-C-I-A, rose, R-O-S-E.com. And I, at this moment, thanks to COVID, see all of my clients remotely. So I can work with anyone anywhere in the world, which is actually really amazing. Um, And so you can find me on my website and contact me via my website. Great. Thank you so much. And hopefully we'll have another conversation with you soon. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Join us at coloradoayurveda.org for access to informative and interactive presentations, conferences, and more online and in person. Become a member today and join our community. This episode was produced by Kalarama with special financial contribution from Organic India, which makes this and other operations of Kalarama possible.